Hi everyone, it's Gally here. Just explaining that we recorded this episode over consecutive Sundays. And unfortunately, Patrick was roundhouse kicked in the face by work and called in to set. So was unable to make the second recording. So you've only got me, Matt and Devlin to take us all the way to Atlanta. I hope you're having a lovely day and I hope you really enjoy the episode. Thanks everyone. First, there was the collapse of civilization, anarchy, genocide, starvation. Then when it seemed things couldn't get any worse, we got the plague, the living death, quickly closing its fist over the entire planet. And then we heard the rumors that the last scientists were working on a cure that would end the plague and restore the world. Restore it? Why? I like the death. I like the misery. I like this world! Welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. The following review will contain spoilers and may contain strong language. I can trust you. For what? To get me back to Atlanta. There's a group of doctors there, the last ones. They've been working on a cure for the plague. They need information I have. I'm a cyborg. Today, as part of our Bargain Bin series, we'll be discussing Cyborg. Starring Jean-Claude Van Damme. You're not going to try to save this woman? You don't care? What do you care about? Fender. Deborah Richter. I'd like to help. My family died from the plague. So did most everybody else I'd known. So as soon as I heard the pirates talk about this woman, I knew I had to do something to help. Dale Haddon. I'm not going with you. You're not strong enough to get me to Atlanta. Bender would eventually catch us. Nothing could stop him in this world. Not even you. And Vincent Klein. I want to own it. I'm the cure. I'd be a god. Directed by... Albert Pune. Hello and welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. Hoist the anchor, mates! It's Gally in Glasgow. Atlanta. It's Devlin in London. Pirates have killed my pa. It's Patrick in London. I be a god. It's Matt in South Korea. Welcome back, gang, and welcome back, listeners, to this celebratory episode a a bargain bin we've been rummaging around in the bin and we have pulled out an absolute beauty resurrected it shall we say um, well, well by the time this comes out um you know we follow the the greek easter which is actually a week after western <laughs> so we thought we would do cyborg why why listeners why would we pick this movie you will find out are we explaining now why the film relates to Easter, or do we just tell that later? In the well, it was a, an, an image shared in the group chat from from Devlin of the crucifixion. So that was the first my my first introduction to the film was was Van Damme on the on the crucifix and the pre credits Bush crucifixion in the in the opening minute of the film as well. Yeah, fortunately, it's not his. Let's do the round table and see what our experiences are with this one. So, Devlin. Um, your history and experiences with JCVD's Cyborg. 
I'm going to have to step on your toes here because we have the exact same origin story with Cyborg, although I'm not sure if you already knew it, so we will find that out. But the origin for this is that uh, when me and Gally lived in a big giant house in top of uh, Top End of Leeds um, with slugs, literal, in the basement of an eight-bedroom house, uh, we had a little annex, and uh, because it was basement level, uh, there were occasionally slugs. Just kind of, you'd wake up and you'd see a little silver trail around the outside of your room. And in the kitchen. And the kitchen is where we kept our TV VCR combo. And we would go to Leeds Market and buy stacks and stacks of tapes that were about 50p each. Uh, and we would just watch them while cooking. And usually we would just watch like, I don't know, let's say 45 minutes to an hour of a film. You'd leave it in the player and then you'd finish it the next day, rewind it, and then start it again from the beginning. And that was how we used to watch Cyborg uh, repeatedly for about two years. Uh, so I've seen Cyborg many times, <laughs> never all the way through, and never outside of the confines of a slug-filled kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> In West Yorkshire, the slugs as well. No, I've 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 actually heard it's a bad idea. Yeah, we we um we started watching MasterChef nearing the last year of university, so our cooking skills, you know, they weren't where they needed to be. So spaghetti bolognese and tuna pasta was about all we could do. But it was fun though, wasn't it? And we got, but we paid less rent than everyone else because we were in the in the basement. So it was uh you know ten pound less a month, which. Seemed like a fair trade, I thought. Literally, <laughs> basement dwellers. <laughs> we were, we were the originals, uh, and you know, I think I had a shitty beard, and it and it grew onto my neck. So yeah, I yeah. remember it being so cold down there and feeling the damp. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, we've uh, we progressed as a, as a human race. Landlords are, are held to account now more. Not. <laughs> so there we go. So um, on on that basis, Kelly, uh, did you pick up Cyborg on uh, on a whim, or were you already aware of the film, or was it just that it was Van Dam? Yeah, my mum was a massive, massive fan of, uh, of Van Dam, the muscles from Brussels stuff. So it kind of meant that I could watch Van Damme movies despite them not being appropriate for the age which I was, which was sort of seven, eight, nine, and 10. That that little magical period where we all watched films that we shouldn't have watched, and we turned out okay, you know? <laughs> I used to live in a basement with some slugs. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that, that my, my exposure to Cyborg was early, early on, and not to get into my summary but I would suggest that it's the sweet spot uh, for watching this movie, um, which is my, my, my link to pass the baton on to, uh, to Matt. Any experiences with this one? Nothing at all. I knew nothing. Uh, as I mentioned on the hard target pod, I was never really a JCVD fan as a kid for no real reason. I just didn't gravitate to him as much as Arnie and Sly and the man sloth, Steven Seagal. Um, I remember seeing Time Cop. <laughs> uh, my friends went on about Bloodsport. I saw Universal Soldier and immediately forgot it. Yeah. And I think I saw Street Fighter on on VHS around that time, but I was by no means uh, a collector, and there, there was nothing that really clicked with me. So this one was a real um, out of the blue surprise. Um, Hard Target had prepared me for some silliness which I hoped would continue. Um, early little posh triangle sandwich. 
uh, I didn't take a single note for the first five minutes because I couldn't quite grasp what I was looking at. So that's a bit of a, pr- <laughs> a primer for, for this one. Um, so Gally and Dev, um, have experience with this one. Patrick, how about you? No, nothing. <laughs> um, I, I had heard of it though. I had heard of Cyborg. I remember the title. And I think a lot like you, Matt, I don't know whether I said it on Hard Target, but Van Damme wasn't someone I gravitated to either. Because I, I hadn't seen Hard Target at that time. I remember at school, Time Cop being quite an excitable film amongst fellow students. And, um, but I never watched, I, I still haven't ever seen Street Fighter. Right. Uh, and. Oh my yeah. God. You've never seen The Speech. The speech he gives to NATO. My God. <laughs> no, and I, I think my draw of Street Fighter though would be, um, Gomez Adams. What's his name? Uh, uh, uh Raul Julia. Mm, yeah. Rather than Jean-Claude Van Damme. Uh, well, it is, well, it is absolutely his film. Yeah, Jack, it really well, is. And, and a bit of Kylie as well. And yeah. Kylie. Oh, well, obviously. Yeah. That's so I, I'm annoyed. I haven't seen it because of Kylie, but anyway. No, I haven't seen anything. I watched it a couple of times this week in preparation. You watched it more than uh, once? Yeah, I, I always try and do it twice. You're the this, only one you know, in once. the group this this time. <laughs> I, I, I try and watch film once midweek and just watch it. No note-taking, nothing. And then the morning of is when I try and take my notes and write story time. Ah, very good. Well, here's a... We're going to slightly do things back to front because normally we would go straight into story time. But I think context is key. What about your exposure, Matt Patrick, to the Canon film group and their kind of legacy in this period? Because it's important to note why Cyborg exists. And maybe that could help explain some of the stuff that happens in story time with Cyborg. (laughs) This could be a, a good in to talk about Masters of the Universe, which was a big film. You'll know much more than me, but is it true that the props, sets, costumes, weapons were reused for Cyborg? That is accurate, yes. Um, Masters of the Universe was, was a big film for me personally. It was the first film I ever saw at the cinema. I was oh. three. And wow. at the time, Canon Group had... Uh, um, if anyone wants to know about Canon Group and doesn't, you should uh, just go and watch Mark Bradley's exceptional documentary, Electric Boogaloo, The Wild Untold Story of Canon Films, which is unfortunately produced by noted shithead Brett Ratner, but I don't believe he's he's on screen at any point. And that's the story of the studio as told by the people that worked there. Um, but it was uh, basically an upstart studio uh, bought by uh, uh, Israeli cousins Menahem Golan and Yoram Globus in like 1979 was when the store they'd been around since the sixties, but in the seventies is when the, the studio really took up. And basically they made an enormous, uh, uh, successful fortune from, uh, action films. They understood that the eighties was the, the, the decade of the action film. And, uh, essentially what they did was find cheap scripts, uh, usually extremely formulaic scripts, uh, their biggest hit, their big early hit was licensing the rights to Death Wish to make sequels. Um, some of them truly fucking repugnant, like Death Wish 2, and some of them absolutely magnificent, like Death Wish 3. Yeah! <laughs> Devlin, which is the Death Wish where he chucks a guy in the literally Austin Powers 
bowl of acid in the in the fashion store. Where which oh, one's that? Uh, one? That's that four, five? right? Oh, is it Possibly. four? And which is the uh, Alex Winter one that Edgar Wright is raving about? That's three, and Galley the uh, fashion one is five. So I knew uh, it was five. Yeah, yeah. I know. So the, the, always the odd ones. Always the odd ones with the death yeah. wish. Because the um, yeah, but the start <laughs> of the film is you know he's a a normal white collar man who's driven to you know driven to to violence by a horrendous act and by five he's like, he's still like 78 year old charles bronson who looks exactly like my uncle tony i love my uncle tony um but he's walking around new york dating like a high-end fashion designer <laughs> who also is murdered by organized crime he has the worst luck but Death yeah. Wish 3 is the one where he just like declares war on scumbags and he shoots somebody <laughs> out of a building using a rocket launcher. So, you know, between that, between Death Wish sequels and uh, turning Chuck Norris into a one-man uber-patriotic hit factory of very mediocre action movies and making untold films about ninjas, wildly inaccurate movies about ninjas, uh, they started to get a little um, uh, uh, greedy, uh, they, they, they overreached massively. Basically, the, what they used to do is they would make a poster, attach a moderately big star to a title, and they would go to like the marketplaces in all of the film festivals, Cannes being one of the major ones. You have above ground Cannes Festival where classy things are happening. And underneath, in the, with the slugs, you've got people like Canon Films bandying posters around and managing to kind of secure financing for a film which would backfill the financing for the film that they'd already made uh but there comes a point where your luck runs out on this and if you get a, a, a few stinkers in a row they overreached they bought cinema chains the the darlington abc cinema became a canon cinema around this time um so they licensed the he-man and the masters of the universe uh um rights which was a huge deal um, if you've seen the Netflix series, the toys that made us episode on, uh, masters of the universe that has a lot of background on that. And, uh, essentially it was a fucking disaster. Uh, it didn't adapt the toys or the cartoon series. So they completely, uh, disregarded the established canon. Ugh. And, um, they went ahead and made up a story that didn't please anyone at all. Um, I have no idea whether it was the massive um, commercial failure of the film or the fact that the film was so baffling that it was damaging to the brand of uh, of Mattel and He-Man that they cut ties. And at the same time as that, uh, Marvel pulled out of a planned Spider-Man adaptation. Uh, and so this is like pre-James Cameron, DiCaprio, uh, what was that era? Was that post Titanic? No, no, it was pre Titanic, the James Cameron Spider Man project. Really? Okay. So yeah. This, yeah. So this would have been, I guess, um, weirdly, Albert Pion actually was the director of the, the legendarily terrible Captain America adaptation mm-hmm. that came out, uh, in 1990, the year after Cyborg. Um, so it's not as if Marvel were. Uh, afraid to bandy the rights around to their major comic book characters to shitty bargain basement studios. It's just that, uh, I think it was more the financing, basically. The way that they financed their films at Canon was falling apart, that the, that the house of cards was falling. So they were two million dollars in pre-production deep into both of those planned films and, uh, essentially 
they were uh they had to recoup some of that money they were desperate albert pion had at this point made i think three four possibly even five um movies for canon none of them especially successful but um uh all of them came in on time and that was what they needed so uh mm. the film's origins are that albert pion was given a weekend to write a story treatment uh to fit the props and the sets uh and the costumes that had been uh that had been constructed for both of those films and under the guise of Kitty Chalmers, wrote this script. It's interesting, isn't it, Devlin? Because you're right about the overreaching. I think their originally original strategy was sort of one to two million, wasn't it? And then yeah, Superman Quest for Peace was like thirty six mil. And it looked and it looked like absolute shit. <laughs> What's that for with Nuclear Man? Is that is that yeah? Them? That's the Nuclear Man one. Nuclear yeah. Man with his with his power. Oh, I watched force. that a lot as a kid. So that's canon too. Yeah, that's kind yeah. of, this is yeah. basically they were going out and they, they wanted to, to play in that kind of, you know, serious Hollywood waters. Like they gave uh, Stallone a bunch of money for over the top. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, they, they made my beloved life force. Yeah. Toby Hooper, which cost them a fortune. It's a classic, uh, cautionary tale of if you've got outsider status, play to your strengths. I think they would, they obviously got to a point when they probably were sick of being ridiculed for being that shitty studio i think that leads on to what is kind of amazing about this film which is that albert pion was handed a fucking high wire here like this is not a guy who had a particularly um uh strong back catalog he had like a few little kind of films that he'd made for the group and they handed him or the the albatross of two million dollars worth of pre-production for films that he had nothing to do with and said we need you to retrofit a film around this. You have uh, very little time to make it. You're going to write it and direct it. And it kind of has to make not just its money back, but a profit because we are fucked. <laughs> hey, you call it a hospital pass. I call it an opportunity, definitely. An opportunity. <laughs> um, we will get into that. But before we talk about Albert Pion and whether or not it was an opportunity or indeed a hospital pass. We need some story time. I mean, luckily the film kind of gives us a little mini story time, but would it be as good as Patrick's? I'm not sure. I like his readings. Yay. See what I did there? So Patrick, would you remind us and the listeners of the very, very small plot for Cyborg? In the future... First, there was the collapse of civilization, anarchy, genocide, starvation. That when it seemed things can get any worse, the plague, the living death quickly closed its fist over the entire planet. Cyborg Pearl Prophet is on the run, trying to find their way to Atlanta to pass on vital information to the last scientist working on a cure that would end the plague and restore the world. But Fender... A pirate has other plans. Why restore the world? After all, he likes the death. He likes the misery. He likes the world. Ah! But he doesn't like the water. He wants the cure from Pearl, as he would be a god. Monotonous slinger Gibson Rickenbacker saves Pearl from one of the pirates, but Fender takes her away. Gibson then meets steadfast Nady, 
and they slowly pursue Fender and the pirates. Gibson recalls his past, and Fender had murdered his new family and took would-be daughter Haley with them. The memories too painful, but drive him to defeat Fender. Knife twirling, roundhouse kicks, the splits and screaming ensue as Gibson works his way through the pirates and survives crucifixion as Gibson heads to a final showdown with Fender. Will they fight topless in the rain? You better believe it. Is Gibson strong enough to get Pearl back to Atlanta? After all, she feels that he's the real cure for this world. You filled in some plot holes, even in that brief synopsis. <laughs> Absolutely. And you also reminded me that water is pure, <laughs> which is probably why Fender doesn't like the water. Can't <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>, swim. <laughs> let's, uh, let's, let's hold on to that thread about the hospital pass that Albert Pune has been given. Okay. Here's the big question. Is he any good? <laughs> or is this what you get when you have a weekend to make a movie? And that's, that's not me being at all, um, you know, trying to be facetious or disparaging. Genuinely, does he know how to make a movie? Or is this a collection of just bits? Cause it's a strange old 90 minute runtime, isn't it? It really is quite, I mean, Pat, Matt said he didn't write a note for five minutes. I mean, some might say that was because he was so engrossed. Others might say, because he he had that like face that a dog makes when you dance in front of yeah, him. Yeah, it was the second one. <laughs> Forever dancing in front of dogs. <laughs> they can't stop me. <laughs> well, I can't tell because this is the only film of his that I've seen. And I do feel for him that he's been sort of parachuted in here to do something with this. Because who knows like what any of us could have done with it or what a a, a higher ranking director could have even done with it have has anyone seen any of his other work yeah <laughs> i've seen a couple and one of them is fucking magnificent it's called doll man which is a film that he made for uh charles band's full moon features and uh it is magnificent uh it is <laughs> you say magnificent but you're laughing oh it, gen- it genuinely is it's about a um there's a like a a, a hard boiled like badass cop renegade guy with mirrored shades who doesn't give a fuck and his marriage is broken down and he's drunk and he just murders people in the course of duty and he gets into a spaceship to pursue a baddie um and he ends up that it turns out that he's not from earth he crash lands on earth <laughs> and it turns out that his planet is exactly like earth but proportionally so much smaller that on earth he's only 13 inches tall <laughs> <What>? <laughs> Oh, brilliant. <laughs> so he's still like this kind of fucking miserable renegade intergalactic space cop, except that he is barely a foot tall. <laughs> <laughs> it's a proportionally sized little gun. What's it called? People with what? Doll Man. Doll Man. Oh, now the title makes sense. There you go. Yeah, so that's good. I like that. That is a film whereby when you talk about knowing the assignment, given the right like material and the right level of stupidity uh, uh albert Pion knows the assignment apparently he's done a bunch of these like cyborg movies and but he, he's yeah he's in the um he's in the churn them out category of filmmakers stack them up and and, and churn them out i i don't know what do you think galley do you reckon that there's any possibility that that if you gave him a bigger film he would be able to make it i recognize there's some stuff in cyborg that i think shows that there's a filmmaker behind the camera 
but there's also lots of stuff. And this is where it's kind of hard to know because mm. we've just discussed about the, the troubles with the, the, the shoot and the, the way that this, this project's come together. There's a, there's a couple of moments, sequences that I think really work. Well, not really work. That's probably a bit too high praise, but, but the, <laughs> there are, gl- there are glimmers. They, stum- they stumble to acceptability. <laughs> there's, there's glimmers of like this, there's some talent here, but there's other stuff that quite frankly is, is almost laughable. I'm thinking about the way that scenes go on for very long. <laughs> Three times too long. But also, <laughs> but yeah. also, also, like we've, we've discussed this in, in other films of, of kind of like lesser territory, like Lawmo Man 2, Beyond Cyberspace, uh, cut off, colon, Job's sorry, War. <laughs> Job's War. Um, but I, this is nowhere near as bad as that. But like transitions within scenes. So like location to location, flashbacks. I, I mean, it's very John Woo. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, you know, but not in a good way. Well, my, my reference for it was, um, I, I think he's watched the good, the bad and the ugly. And the, the final sequence of that, uh, there's a lot of characters staring at each other for a long period of time with music and cutting. And here it seems like he's tried to carbon copy it, but it hasn't quite worked out. And to me, it just looked like he was trying to elongate the running time. Why, why are there two flashbacks of exactly the same thing with the exact same shots? Well, I've talked about it before about my favorite flashback. It's the seeds one, which really doesn't. I thought it was an olive. It's a seed. It's definitely a seed. The flashback informs us that they were going to grow something, I guess. Right. But that's it. <laughs> so me- it's a metaphor it's a metaphor for nurturing the new family uh um dynamic that he's trying to uh, and a, and, a, and a chance to start to rebuild this world <laughs> yes. okay indeed yeah. indeed but uh, the other thing as well is that we have a kevin reynolds issue here so this is why i kind of caveat a lot of my Al- albert pyun mm. do you know what you're doing because jean-claude van damme classic got in the edinson suite and did a Van Damme. So I don't know what is Pyun's and what isn't. We've discussed the director's cut is, I don't think it's really worth, it doesn't really add anything other than a few more minutes and a few, <laughs> a few more minutes to those scenes that mm. needed no more minutes. It's a, it's a different ending, right? Is that right? It is a different ending. Yes. But the journey, the journey remains the same, Devlin. So they mostly are tweaking, I guess, like the fight stuff. Whereas I, I feel like, um, so, Good, the bad, and the ugly is a is a pretty solid reference. But I I figured that um because he knew Toshiro Mifune, really? like he'd interned with Toshiro Mifune. Devlin, uh, explain who he is in case, like me, I have no idea who that man is. I'm so sorry. he was uh um he was kind of Akira Kurosawa's uh go to lead during the kind of golden age of Kurosawa's career. That, that's me in film school jail then. Sorry about that. I'm just gonna no, no, shut, shut, shut the door. <laughs> Did they not make you watch Seven, Seven Samurai? No, no, there was full Monty. That's what they made us watch. <laughs> I feel like um Seven Samurai is one of those films that, that gets like bandied around as like the 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 most like oh eat your fucking vegetables movie ever it's like people end up dreading watching it because of how much people talk about it but it's so fucking good like legitimately good and super entertaining and like it holds up like gangbusters but um there's also yojimbo which is uh, uh if you wanted to get kurosawa it's a, it's a little more accessible and this probably has this one has more of that kind of vibe to it so i, I think like 
and that's the sort of stuff that um leone was was referencing as well like they all there was a there was uh um you know like the the infamous magnificent seven thing there was uh influence trading back and forth between these things but uh that kind of explains how the the way they've presented this world being so sparse as well even though i know it's the post-apocalypse but there doesn't seem to be anyone except van damme whoever he's talking to and some baddies there's no like third party people around there doesn't seem to be an ecosystem does there like so there is no government that's fine. But there also doesn't seem to be the, the bit that kind of confused me. And it, this is again, a bit of a hodgepodge production, but these people are so poor that they live in tents, but can afford a wedding cake. That seems <laughs> like an odd dichotomy. <laughs> I forgot about them actually. Yeah. So I guess that's the thing that you only meet other people when it is, uh, uh, like for the plot. To, to further the plot otherwise there will literally be no people around no extras ever anywhere you are just like the, the whoever's looking at you so but yes there is a wedding case the, the thing that i um i i wanted to ask devlin and and you matt was did you think this was albert Pyun imposing his style or is this the style that he's decided will best show off van damme because the slow motion stuff mm. is it's it's poured throughout the whole movie and i think in one sequence it really does work, which is when Van Damme's basically knackered and all the pirates start attacking him. That feels like that would be the appropriate time to use it because you kind of feel his exhaustion. But to do it in every single fight would then just feel like, well, this is, we're only going to shoot fight sequences in one way and that's mm. slow-mo. And as you say, is that just to bulk out the running time or is that because Van Damme's kicks are so fast that you cannot catch them uh, on 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 camera? Van Damme's thing of kicking lads in the chops and actually doing it a bit, like he gives them a tap, or or really he gives them a bit of a belt. That seems to be the thing that that he does that a lot of other action guys don't, which is that he actually makes contact and it looks really impactful when you do it in slow mo and you get the jowls flopping around and stuff. So I guess that is a. I don't. I mean, I, I'm going to assume Van Damme had enough clout to be able to give um, indications of what he wanted. I would have thought. Because like you say, this is a look that carries on for the majority of his career that all the Van Damme kicks and the spin kicks and the jumps tend to be in slow-mo, no matter who's directing. Knowing that Van Damme was in the Edison suite, but obviously this is all shot on set, I think he's massively involved in it. And I don't think it's Albert Pyun's decision. Or cut the way it's cut, necessarily. Or cut the way it's cut, yeah. Because in Kickboxer... Van Damme did the choreography for the fights in that, and it is exactly the same mm. to the point where the flashbacks in Kickboxer are also employed in exactly the same way that they are employed in Cyborg. So it's Easter. Think about that crucifixion uh, sequence when he's on the on top of the old uh, mast and he's kicking, and it, as he's kicking the wood, he's remembering the pain, and through that he kicks harder and then breaks the wood. Remind you of a sequence in Kickboxer when he's kicking the tree and he's thinking about his brother getting paralysed. Same sequence. The other one was the musical cues. You know the little little pipe that's like lululu. They use it when she says she's a a robot at the beginning. Goes doodle plays like a little a little tune. <laughs> um, that that actually fits with my theory, Gally, which was that they didn't have a lot of choreography prepared in advance. So what they would what they ended up doing on set probably came a lot from him. 
he was probably quite dictatorial with it. I'm not, this is all speculation, but the way I imagined it going down was that we're going to overcrank this because it's going to help the, the way that the, that the choreography of it looks, which was probably quite haphazard. And a lot of it was kind of made up and built in the edit and kind mm. of, uh, uh, salvaged. It felt salvaged to me. Does it give you more options in the Edison suite? As well, maybe just because you can pinch frames from here. Well, there's a lot of and- repetitive motion, wasn't there? It was kind of abstract cutting uh, at times with some of the the kicks. I thought they overdid the kicks, but it's a Van Damme movie, so I guess you're allowed to to do that. But outside of that, there is a lot of stuff where it's like I think this is Albert Pyun. There's a lot of really interesting camera angles and placement. Oh, he goes low a lot, doesn't he? That's uh, that's I feel like that's him. This I, I do think that he has a, a an eye. There's a great shot. Um, one thing that he does a lot and this is i guess a thing that happens in cyborg frequently which is that you have one good idea brilliant you're gonna see it nine times though (laughs) (laughs) they have the um the low angle slow uh uh, sorry the low angle very fast dolly in to a character so you get you know the which is always a great shot because it completely shifts the space around the character and, and it makes them look super badass there's like a the start of the first fight scene in the abandoned concrete building, there's a guy with like a cool, like gas mask looking thing. And it starts on a super wide with a really wide angle lens and it rushes into him and then goes to a low angle. And it's like, it's very cool. Like it's a legitimately cool shot. But then we, we do that shot like three times on Fender, I think. Right. I think we do. Yeah. It's, it's Fender in that same se- in that same sequence as well. Yeah. So that's why it's super noticeable. Cause you're like, you've already done that one that's a bit of a post-apocalypse bingo there's always a guy that looks like a pig and that guy in the gas there's one guy looks like a pig and then there's another guy in a gas mask i think they're two different characters and uh there's there's one in Waterworld, and i think there's one in fury road i can't remember if there's one in road warrior probably is a pig Mm. pig uh there probably is oh it's a good way of obscuring the fact that you probably only got about six people right uh as your (laughs) as your as your stunt as your stunts Mm. so you know, you can re-roll them um, and, and repurpose them. So it's quite a, it's quite a handy way of doing it. Are you, are you having a Seinfeld um, flashback, Devon? I was. I was just thinking of Kramer <laughs> just screaming the word pig man over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> he springs in from the hospital. <laughs> it's a great, it's a great episode. How, how did you feel about the the action in in general? I had a couple of thoughts on, uh, particularly the end there. You were talking about how it was taken away from Pion a bit. That the maybe it's too soon to discuss the Fender. Um, battle at the very end uh but there's the smackdown yeah there are I two think. parts to it i think it's fair i think the first the, the second part must have been a reshoot because in the it is director's yeah, cut, it is. he kills fender by bringing the the knife up through his body and through his face in quite a quite a graphic it cuts away quite soon but it's quite a graphic shot and then in the theatrical he kind of falls back into the rain and they end up fighting one more time indoors yeah it's, it's on it's on a little 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 box room isn't it and then with the, with fan, the fan and the lights yeah, the, the yeah. classic light through the fan mm. it's a classic and uh he, he goes all leather face on him then he just hooks him up and that's it yeah well he gives him the uh he gives him the uh the jeremy piven in um, very bad things treatment <laughs> <laughs> yeah it did <laughs> That's a real deep cut reference for, for yeah. listeners. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, I, I, I think the fight in the fight sequences in, in totality are pretty underwhelming for, for, for someone 
as, as a self-confessed kind of Van Damme fan, I think this is one of his kind of weaker entries when it comes down to the, the fight sequences. But what I do like, what I do like is I like the, I like the, the WWF of it all. I feel like it's very wrestling. So when, when he's running away from the tunnel, which looks like it was a sh- an abandoned ship, but was a tunnel. We'll get into locations in a minute. Um, it feels very like, and now Big Show's coming out and he's ripping his top up. And, and, and I enjoyed it. It felt like Royal Rumble. And then when they're all ganging up on him, I thought that was, you know, that was classic. We've got our A-list or, or our kind of top tier wrestler and we're all going to gang up on him and get him out the ropes and get him out mm. of this Royal Rumble match. I think I enjoyed some yeah. of those face-offs more than the final one. The, the most cinematic looking one was Fender in the Rain, I thought. But the, there was a big problem there where I couldn't quite tell who was winning because mm. Van Damme was getting all the shots in and Fender just, <laughs> Fender just had the same zombie-eyed expression the whole time and it was like he was he was hulk hogan or ultimate warrior and he was impervious to all of the blows that were raining down on him and i couldn't quite tell who was winning so that took some of the enjoyment out of that particular one but there was like a seagal treatment to some of the earlier ones where you realize at some point i think it was in the swamp when i realized that no harm is going to come to to Van Damme when he gets crucified, but oh Matt, I disagree with that. I think I think um you think they're going to kill him off. No, we haven't really talked about it too much about Van Damme's appeal, but I think one of the things mm. that I, I think I enjoyed it about his movies, and he always does this, is he always positions himself as an underdog. He always fought the villain, the supervillain, whoever it is going to be, yeah. is always going to be bigger mm-hmm. and stronger, and the movie will show that. And also Van Damme compared to a Stallone and a Schwarzenegger, he's always willing to get his ass kicked. Yes. Like genuinely, if you think about all of his movies, he's, there's always normally a scene where he gets, he gets taken out. He doesn't get killed because that mm. would be, you know, that's the end of the movie, I'm afraid, Matt. So crucifixion is as close as going to get, but he always does get like a, get a beating. Mm. And, um, and this movie is no different. The only thing I, I wish is I wish that beating had kind of probably come from Fender. Um, but it didn't, which speaks to really underutilizing your villain, I think. Um, cause in the end, in that end fight, I just thought he, his stature felt like the newborn in Alien Resurrection as opposed to it did have that like line, a domineering, yeah. like he was arching his back and looked like he was sort of straining for a pick. There wasn't enough of a to and fro. It was just one guy beating the other one, but I, I couldn't tell if, if they were making any you know, Im- true impact with him. But that, but, but that's the wrestling of it all again, Maybe. wasn't it? Like, it's almost like, uh, trading blows. <laughs> blows where they just it like, it's taking like, it, it, it was like going. a beat em up or like the image I had in my mind, I sent you a gif on the thing of just a kid smashing two action figures yeah. together. And that's what I felt like that it, it was, it was just too, it wasn't quite orchestrated enough. And I didn't feel like that mm. the choreography was anywhere near what it should have been. And then to compensate for that, for that lack, the lack of that element in, in an action film, I, I think they also dialed back on a lot of how, how graphic it could have been. Uh, they cut away on a lot of key sort of gore moments. I think you have to go Robocop levels of gore to make up for some of the weaknesses. So it's like where it fell flat, it didn't quite come up in other areas. It was, uh, I, I think it needed to do a bit more. 
there was there was enough where structurally it would have it would have worked we got repetitive the fact that we had two fights in a row in big empty concrete buildings with a bunch of faceless baddies and that both times he gets away with like uh the the girl gets like she yeah she gets grabbed both times i was confused the the second second time she just she's just laying face down which is always a really funny scene definitely there's some high wire uh (laughs) tricks going on here when it comes down to the geography of that warehouse because it's almost fucking benny hill levels when they're running and chasing each other so how did you get there when you were just there (laughs) it's fine like those are those are because those are the showcase sequences in the middle of the film we have to do something we have to do something in the middle of the film then when it hits that kind of second act drag the 60 minute mark when it's like he's fucked like he does get the shit kicked out you know this i quite like the swamp thing of there's just an endless parade and you think that you've got one guy Mm. beat but it's like nah there's gonna be 15 dude love's coming in it's dude love (laughs) (laughs) he's coming in for the corporation and then so you know the the crucifixion is about as bleak a second act drag as you can do like he is fucked uh he has been bolted to a big bit of wood and uh um the fact that they don't manage to choreograph that fight you're exactly right it's like you had a set and they they come they dive in and out of that fucked up car but it's not enough like the whole point oh of there's a vinnie jones what you the vinnie jones head in the car yeah yeah I mean, there's, there's bits and pieces, but you know, th- there's a, in wrestling terminology, there's a tried and trusted, uh, tried and, and tested way of doing the monster heel versus the smaller hero wrestler. And it's like, they have to, they have to be willing to take a shit kick in and also be smart and work around. Whereas, you know, like said, Fender's thing would just be that he'd be massive, like an Andre the Giant and that he'd just clobber him, but they don't, there's no, there is no sense of, geography and that's probably to do with just a horrendously rushed shoot i guess yeah oh well and that's and that that speaks of one thing that did actually happen on a on a serious note which is one of the one of the stuntmen literally lost lost their sight in one eye and there was a lawsuit afterwards um and according to albert Pyun, he said that he didn't hit his mark which is why van damme caught him but it's it's one of those like there are always inherent dangers you know we we kind of sometimes take it for granted don't we that um fight choreography and stuntmen just do stuff and it's quite easy but people do genuinely get hurt and yeah he lost uh lost lost an eye so he was actually a soldier and he was hired in to play one of the heavies um i'm not sure if he had much acting experience is it the guy that he fights just before fender in the rain yeah, Jason Pinkney, and it's it's in that sequence. And uh, apparently, he was partially blinded in his left eye after Van Damme stabbed him with a rubber prop knife, and it resulted in the guy's discharge from the army because he lost his sight. Wow. Well, it speaks to what we've said, which is was this was this on the set? Let's just this is what we will do, and then you don't get enough time to kind of get that muscle memory. Yeah, uh, and everyone's fully on the same page, and then accidents happen, don't they? Well, I I referenced so, the. the- I just thought of Die Hard immediately because it's the standard. And I thought of McLean and Carl and that battle. I know Carl's not a, exactly a giant, but he is a, a, a worthy foe. And that whole, that whole battle there, John McLean is the underdog and everything just feels visceral in that fight. And I just didn't feel like it was layered enough. I didn't feel like the, I felt the, that there's only so many times you can, somebody can get smacked and, and you start to lose 
your, your, your sensitivity for it. You get desensitized. I didn't like where Pion put the camera either in some of the, that, that end battle. It's too many mids and too many close. There's a really odd bit, isn't there, where it's like a wide, wide. And then he goes mid, mid. And then he goes close up, close up. And then extreme close up, extreme close up. And it's just, <laughs> everything goes on three times too long in this film. Everything is done three times too many. I, I, it's, it's a weird one. It's like the footage was there. So it was, you know, but then again, was, was, was Pion just, if you're saying it's like, if it's wide, mid, close ECU, is that just like the most basic, like, we gotta get this? I wondered if he was covering himself. Yeah, we'll, we'll get this and we'll choose later. But Van Damme's like, we'll use everything. <laughs> could, could be yeah. that way. <laughs> Since we've uh, talked about Van Damme, I was trying to work out the appeal. I've already said that he likes to, he, 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 he does accept vulnerability. Yes. Like he will, he will get a beating, which I like. And in this movie, very much playing the strong silent type to the point where, and again, this is not being disparaging. Some of his dialogue is hilarious. Um, but one from Van Damme was when he just walks up to, um, walks up to the lady, uh, who's traveling with him. Shakira. Just says, Shakira. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, and just says, uh, where are you alive? Or something like, <laughs> why is it so sensitive? Because there is no emotion whatsoever, which, you know, okay, maybe the character is emotionally stunted from, you know, seeing such horrible, horrible things that he's seen as a slinger, which by the way, as a title, I think slinger, I think of someone who moves heavy objects with rope. I don't think of a gunslinger, but maybe that's just me. Maybe it's a UK. No, I was thing. confused too. Um, yeah, I didn't know. Yeah. That. Just, um, just there when you said gunslinger, that is the first time that that actually made any sense to me that that's where. Yeah, Gally had to break that to me too. <laughs> I had no clue. <laughs> All right. I was, I, I, I'm very rarely am I the smartest man in the room, but there we go. <laughs> You've tapped into Cyborg. <laughs> the, uh, the uh, I, I thought like all of his dialogue was just so obvious. Like I sh- he should have been more silent. I I thought like everything he stated was completely obvious to what was already on screen. Did you remember that um that flashback where uh, um so when he first meets the 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 girl who he ends up honestly I think it's actually a bit disturbing that he ends up in a kind of weird tryst with her because when you first see her in the flashback she looks about seventeen. Oh, is this the uh, she looks like um, Gina Davis's sister? But um, when he, when, so she says, uh, in the flashback, she says, get us out of the city. And his reply is, it's what I do. Get people out of the city. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's full of that. How can we give him a few more syllables just so he has something to say? Don't know if I really trust you. Don't know if there's really any difference between slingers and the pirates that killed my Paul. But I guess I ain't got no choice. You're the only guy that answered the post and for the pay. Just get us out of the city. It's what I do. Get people out of the city. Let's go. Um, and, and he struggles with that. I mean, I, I'm not going to point fingers mm. for, for struggling with a second language because I'm hopeless. But even... Like in hard target four years after he was struggling. So here's the question then. We have an action star who I would suggest made massive impression on me. Um, so what is the appeal? He's got, he's got sad eyes. <laughs> yeah. Is it the eyes? Do you think? 
Because he's a, he's a good looking he's a good looking chap, <laughs> but is it the eyes? I think so. I think he's got like those kind of soulful like eyes. It's like he's a you know he's a chiseled handsome dude, but um and also he's kind of goofy. And he's sometimes willing to do that. I'm thinking of the kickboxer dance. Oh, kickboxer. Yeah. Well, I think that's where he got me. I was like, anyone yeah. who can pull off those trousers and then woo the ladies. I mean, we haven't mm-hmm. done kickboxer, but I think we may have to just for that one. In his, uh, in his Zubaz pants. It could be his age here. His age is just right. And I, I noticed that he's a good looking chap here. Maybe it was the mullet that threw me in, in hard target, but he's a, he's a good looking chap here. He's quite svelte. My mum didn't like Arnie for the, she'd call him a big, you know, an, an ugly brute or whatever. But I think maybe Van Damme was more appealing. Also, he had that kind of, uh, he had that kind of dancer balletic kind of thing. Like he's super in control of his movements. So it's a lot more graceful than, than some of the others, which is, I think, another thing, which is kind of a shame that some of the fights here tend to just go for the, like the big end fight is just two dudes standing directly opposite each other, smacking each other in the face. Cause he is like, the the splits thing in the tunnel, it's always it's always awesome when he pulls out the splits. It just is. Yeah, th- that that split sequence, which by the way, you've just you've just signalled the Alan Rock Who It Is Award <laughs> nominee for me, <laughs> which is Ralph Muller. Did you recognise him? He's in uh, he's in Gladiator. He's one of Maximus's uh, allies. Oh, oh. He's the big German, big brute guy in Gladiator. It's that's him in a fright wig getting stabbed in the in the head. Yeah. Wow. So nope. news to me passed me by. <laughs> yeah. Uh, any listeners that are unsure what just happened there, the Alan Rook Who It Is Award is attributed to those uh, performers who you've seen in other things but have no idea who they are, um, but you've seen them. So there you go. Ralph Muller is the winner today for Cyborg. Hmm. Uh, unless you had any other nominees. My only other one was was Fender himself, who I didn't realise was in Point Break. You had to point that one out. War Child? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He only lives to be radical. Back off, so- War Child. Seriously. <laughs> um, as, a, as an opposite of the uh, rock who it is, um, who the hell was... Is it Nabby? Nabby? The His woman companion. who accompanies Who is she? What is this about? Why does she have lines like, what kind of jerk are you? Mm. It's a strange one because her motivation is that her whole family's been wiped out by the plague. But, right. you know, join the, join the queue, love. Like, I mean, <laughs> so in a way, it's kind of one of those where she just turns up because I guess they needed someone to, to emote. I think she's there to show that he is still committed to, he's still grieving and he and when she offers herself to him on on the beach he doesn't bear nobility he doesn't go yeah. for it he's he still remains faithful and uh that is supposed to illustrate some kind of uh uh i don't know character human quality kind of, yeah. you know uh matt you've just reminded me a uh, single funniest sequence <laughs> and it shouldn't be because it's just a lady running into the, the water but... it's so uncoordinated she's all over the place <laughs> and i guess it's supposed and it was also supposed to be like a sensitive moment like she's being cleansed she's going into the sea nature you know this world is dreadful but the ocean will cleanse you of all your ills 
I piss myself laughing every time I see that little scene. It's so funny. Um, an audio podcast can't show it, but maybe I will clip it. It's just such an unusual way to get an arse in a film. <laughs> really, really weird. Like there, there are plenty of films that we, that we look back on and that they, they sneak in a little bit of nudity because, you know, it's like they figure they need to get the dad's attention again. It's like give him a little snap. It's like, no, 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 pay attention. Waterworld, the, the triple horn, uh, uh, bum yeah. flash. Yep, yeah, absolutely. But like, there, it's so frequently, it's, I just feel like, what are you doing? And I sort of, I, not, not to the actresses, because unfortunately for them, it's like, I know what they're doing. Some dude just said, you know what, you know what time There's it is. There's a quota. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel so awful for them, but like, there was a, uh, <laughs> somebody, I remember, um, was it must have been like a best of the worst video or something where there's a, a scene where a girl takes a top off and one of the guys just says like oh honey not for this film <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's there's fair. another one aboard the pirate ship isn't it because we were wondering about um Haley's role yeah so she's i think she's being pimped out isn't she that's the mm. that's the kind of relationship i got yeah is that fender's her pimp i didn't get why fender and um gibbs had a, a personal rivalry uh obviously fender wants anarchy he can thrive in that world am i am i anywhere near the right lines here because he's because he's very insecure remember how he tells that robot lady <laughs> not to swim, swim. <laughs> he can't swim the whole thing is because he can't swim and he's he's terrified someone's gonna make fun of him what's waiting for me cyborg whatever you want guns Weapons. The cure if they find it. Life. Death. Death. You think you can stop me there? No, we have a deal. You'll fail. Of course I would. I know how strong you are. Don't look down on me. I don't. But I think the nudity there was to suggest, I think you're right. She's, she's kind of a sex slave to that gang of pirates and he's become possessive of her in a, in a, in a pimp like way, Gally. I think you're right. And then that's created something between him and, and Gibbs, the possession of, of Haley. And that, that's one thing I was clinging to because I don't think there was enough. Well, he did kill his, his opportunity for an actual life but why why did the 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 barbed wire well incident happen in the first place i mean that seems like that should have been born out of something that was done to him that should have been an act of re mm. retribution it seems like he's just being horrible for no reason yeah there's a beat missing isn't there which is what was what was fender to to gibbs yes before before that or was it just literally was it literally just uh, because Fender is anarchy sweeping through, he's seen a nice white picket fence house and gone, I don't like that. I'm going to destroy it. <laughs> That's not anarchy. Which seems a little a little bit weak source, doesn't it? it does. As far as motivation. Um, I, I do agree. I, the one thing, again, just going on the Van Damme appeal, um, and Harrison Ford went about 20 years with this kind of motivation too. He loves a frigging, doesn't he, Van Damme? Like that is always his motivation. A family member is either murdered or injured badly in Kickboxer, and that is it. Vengeance always motivates Van Damme. Even in Hard Target, vengeance on the elite. It's the 
easiest and and cheapest and also the most satisfying if you can do it right. Uh, and and, it, and in a film that was probably rushed, well, we know it was rushed through. Uh, a revenge plot is is the way to go. I think. Do you think that's why it appealed to me as a kid then, Matt? Because it's one of those clear, like, right and wrong, mm-hmm. good and bad lines of distinction. There's no grey territory when you've got a fender in the mix. Well, I wondered if, like, when we were playing as kids, we used to play Ninja Turtles and we used to play all these things. And all, all the plots were, you know, somebody killed somebody's brother and then you have to get revenge. And it's always the same the same thing. Like, I wonder if we could have written something better, actually, back back then but this was uh it felt like a kid's game that it sort of got out of out of hand but it's always very simplistic good guy bad guy you did something that wronged me i'm gonna get back at you and then there's a there's a battle and then there's somebody's victorious and it just it played like that what was weird was that they had this backstory to dole out and as you've mentioned they doled it out very strangely like structurally yes. to i understand why the crucifixion was the point at which we got the whole backstory because at that point you have to get everything out on the table because now it's time for you know the the you need all the motivations out there because we're just going to fight 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 at the end but like how i mean how would you do it if not for like these weird little morsels throughout and then showing the same clips again but with some or devlin i will you know i think we've talked about um some of pyun's influences I think this is the Charles Bronson backstory story, sorry, in Once Upon a Time in the West, which okay. is you see the flashbacks, the same flashbacks over and over again until it, the crescendo moment when he's having the duel okay. um, with Fonda. So I think mm. Pyun, again, <laughs> it's, I'm probably not doing him any favors here. He's watched that and gone, that's how I'll do it. That's how I'll structure. Just like story. how he watched the I, Once Upon a Time. Sorry, just how he watched uh, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, and tried to take that too. But something's got lost in translation, or he's just tried his best and it just hasn't quite come off. Like, apparently. well, maybe maybe he didn't have enough time. Maybe to, you know, did to, to, to develop his the way he was going to execute. Well, his influence is so right. The, God, he's gone for the right films. He has gone for the right films and, you know, there's a bit of Mad Max there as well. It's the same kind of, you know, family was taken away. Now I'm going to scour the earth looking for reason. Uh, and then he finds it with a companion that helps bring out his humanity. My God, we're very good at this, aren't we? <laughs> Award winning. I think the instincts are there, but I'm not sure at this point having only seen a couple of Pyun's films, that he quite nails it. But is there another way of doing it than passing out flashbacks every time? I mean, the other thing that's laughable is every time Van Damme stops and stares at something, you know, don't you? You're like, you know. I'd save that for favourite scenes because every time a flashback is queued up, (laughs) that's my favourite stuff. Flashback! Then you it's not, And it's not just the look, then the music... Yeah, but I was a little bit let down because I I didn't get the Once Upon a Time in the West reference in in the, was more revealed the second time we see the flashback or was it just the same flashback twice? But yeah, it's it's like a little, it's like ironing every time you go a little bit further. So first it's just like, get us, get us out of the city. And then it's like, and then we're going to the house and then you're very good with them. And then there's little shots of them building the home together and then it gets longer Mm. and then there's a bluish hue sex scene and then eventually the whole thing comes gushing oh maybe forth. that was lost on me a bit but <laughs> but uh, yeah i i didn't really 
noticed the, the, the value in that. I'm struggling to know how this got lost on you. What else were you watching? I mean, there was no, I mean, nothing else. I mean, I mean the, the, the quality <laughs> of re- revealing something in pieces and telling you a little bit more each time. I, I, I like the idea. Yeah, I like the idea, but it, it, that the, the effect of that was lost on me is what I'm trying to, to say. But maybe that's because we are missing that piece in the backstory. Or, or, or we are just supposed to accept that Fen, you know, cause clearly, you know, we're doing this at Easter or well, Easter would have passed by the time the episode's out. Um, happy Easter, everyone. Um, but, but there's clearly like some religious themes. Is there? <laughs> they're quite subtle though. <laughs> they are, they're, they're very subtle. They sneak um, them in. They do sneak them in. But I, I just, I, I keep clinging, you know, I keep putting my, my hat on the, maybe he's the real cure. You know, oh, but that was spelled so out for us by a character. He <laughs> told that by someone at the very end. <laughs> oh, that's what it was. Thanks for telling me. Yeah. Mm. God bless. I mean, and the, the other, I mean, I, Matt, to be fair, the other thing that did distract me during the movie, apart from the one story that was being told was how you can, you know, we're, we're in, we're in the territory of, um, of adaptation with uh, <laughs> what wins first boat or walk i mean like, i couldn't work out how the fuck like i know that that it's a bit of a cinema sin thing but it is still silly because when he's speaking to the wise barman i think he says something like i'll walk the way and meeting at the pass i was like he's in a fucking boat like there's yeah, no way a, you can walk a steamship. There's <laughs> no way you can beat them. It doesn't matter how many sharpening of knives there are going on that slow them <laughs> Why down. Why is everyone sharpening their knife at exactly <laughs> the same time in the same way? It's like a sharpening arrow. I, I, I think I think Pion's given them the equivalent of a line reading. He's just said, "Just do this," and they've all done exactly the same thing. It's crazy. So Matt, I'm going to pull on another thread that you mentioned earlier. Should directors go through like a little mini film school in the, in the, in the low budget fair? Will that make them better when they get bigger budgets and they get bigger stars? The, um, I mean, back in the old days, it was, uh, Roger Corman. I mean, if you think about like the, the kind of the great directors, like the movie brat generation, the new Hollywood kids, most of them came up through, um, through Corman and, uh, those films were fast and cheap. Coppola uh jonathan demi um who else cameron jeez like yeah mm-hmm. well and and even the ones that didn't go through corman de palma was you know kind of slumming it, it well slumming it he was just in these kind of like dirty kind of sex thriller well and he carried on doing that but he yeah. made he made elevated sexy thrillers um after he'd learned you know some of the the fellini uh ways uh in the in the lower echelons mm-hmm. I mean, Cameron's a case in point, which is a, a guy who has super control over everything that he does and is a tremendous technician. And he learned that by having to do everything. Like, I, I, it's a tremendously skillful. I mean, he became a fucking raging egomaniac about it because he was convinced that he knew how to do everything. But, uh, it's, it's gotta be, it's gotta be valid purely because, um, if you understand, especially like nuts and bolts crafted films that just have to get a point across, make a bit of money, and then that's it. What it probably does is it probably like knocks off some of your bullshit ideas. I'm sure when we were at film school, we were all convinced that we were going to do something that was actually like, you know, oh no, man, this is going to change how people think. <laughs> it's like, well. <laughs> No, it's going to be incoherent. It's what it's going to be. And 
I, I storyboarded one out and luckily they didn't give me the money to make it because it would have been shite. And, uh, whereas somebody being forced to like, no, you have to learn how to put together a sequence where people will understand where the line is and where your eye lines are. Mm -hmm. And that this dialogue has to actually be relevant to moving the plot forwards. Once you've mastered that, then you can go play, but. It doesn't happen for everyone, but I think for this... There's a ceiling for everyone, isn't there? Not everyone can just make enough films and suddenly be Kubrick. There is a... Some people are capable of of improving. And some and also, like what you're saying about the photography of a film, I know action films are a bit different, but your DOP should be helping you with that stuff. I mean, directors have so much to be concerned about. I know John Woo is, is very into the action and the choreography... Um, but I, I don't know where, where Pion is really coming from. Is he more like a woo? But you, but you can develop as you get into, if you're into the action and the choreography, one of the things that we've, we've talked about, but we haven't really spelt out is that the storytelling within the fights themselves mm. doesn't have an impact. So the back and forth, but well, say back and forth, the, the hit, the constant hitting of Fender yes. doesn't actually tell us a story. It's, it's action. You can watch it. It's someone hitting someone in the rain and them going, mm-hmm. but what it doesn't do is it doesn't really, it doesn't have any kind of emotional heft because it's not really telling us a story within the scene itself. That's where it falls on the Pion, fight. isn't it? That's not the cinematography. Yeah, and, that, that's... and that's where it does fall on Pion, but he's made Cyborg for $500,000. Mm-hmm cobbled together a, a, a kind of a post-apocalypse <laughs> thrown out story. of the edit room <laughs> yeah. well, thrown out of the edit room but you know it, it's no surprise to me that he's that you know you've got two weeks hmm. you've got spider-man sets and masters of the universe yeah. come up with something it's no surprise to me that he's gone post-apocalyptic because you know that's smart what is one of the, what, what's one of the genres that you can do on the cheap with costumes that don't need to make any sense because mm-hmm. they're cobbled together and and you've got uh, an action vehicle film and it worked you know we for all of the things that we're saying that ha- didn't work is this movie made money for canon didn't make loads of, it didn't make enough to to salvage them but i think it got like a 10 million return from 500,000 on percentages that's pretty bloody good so i think um i think there is definitely room and there should still be room for this type of progression or or like unofficial film school because one of the things that we see now is like directors are like one and done you know they come out of nowhere they're plucked from obscurity they're put in the big studio system they make a movie if it's a complete and not a bomb then you don't ever hear from them again they have to try and find another way and the other thing as well that happens is that some of them are just not quite mentally mature enough to deal with that kind of pressure i'm looking at the the chap who did fantastic four stick who just went mental started just abusing his position because he hadn't you know hadn't done the hard work i think that's you know you've got it i'm not i'm not speaking for him he might be a it's josh trank isn't it he might just be a wanker but i'd imagine it's probably just a little bit too much too soon and he's he's just like whoa what do i do with this uh robert rodriguez before he you know, hit it big. El Mariachi was supposed to be the first in th- a three-part trilogy. He was going to make three films for the Spanish home video market, so no one would see them. And he would make all his mistakes, and he would hone his skill as a feature film director in terms of structure and in terms of all the technicalities of it. Uh, and But El Mariachi hit it big out of nowhere, and it should have just been remade, and it was eventually as Desperado, but 
we actually got to see El Mariachi with all those little mistakes in it. So he, he was planning to do it covertly so no one would even see them. But there's a lot of directors that make all their mistakes kind of in, in public. And I'm sure he learned an awful, an awful lot making, making this. Mm. I mean, I, I think about like when we talked about Alien 3 and I think had David Fincher come out now, we might not have David Fincher. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like mm. he's a su- supremely talented filmmaker who actually had cut his teeth in, at ILM. But the other thing and the other avenue was music videos, which no longer are as popular as they no. used to be. But that way you could tell a little story in a music video and adverts as well. You know, the, I'm thinking about the, the Ridley Scott machine that used to just kind of take these promising, uh, visionaries and go, well, you make an interesting advert. Um, you know, and those long form Apple adverts were a way of kind of developing a little bit mm. of, you know, a little bit of know-how, a little bit of craftsmanship. But one of the things that gets lost now that there's no kind of canon film group is this type of high concept, low budget B movie schlock. I mean, did the filmmakers are, are they able to cut their teeth and go on to bigger and better things now? Or is it you, you, you need to make something out the gate that grabs attention and get a big budget and yeah sadly i I think it's that i think if you make too much of a mistake you just won't get the shot again you you'd be Mm. someone else steps in and i mean if you think of like um one of those guys where because there's there's plenty of like a josh trank where it's like oh you had a a surprise hit with a a smaller budget film and then it's like no you you're straight onto an assigned property you're straight onto an ip and they did it to gareth edwards Mm -hmm. very quickly he had a great debut that he put together on his laptop with uh, uh, Scoop McNary. I can't remember the name of the film. Monsters. It's completely monsters. There you go. Um, uh, an interesting film, but a guy who probably needed another two or three, yep, agreed. you know, take the steps up. And instead it's the Godzilla movie, which looks fantastic in places, but falls apart structurally. Uh, and with a horrendous lead with absolutely no charisma. And then he, he feels like someone not enough could, Cranston, not enough Cranston. He, he, yeah. he feels like a director that uh, I'm, I'm uncertain about Pyun, but I feel mm. like Edwards is someone who can improve. I don't think he's yeah. hit the ceiling of what he can do yet. And Godzilla was too much too soon. I'd, I'd agree with you. And then there was the, the Star Wars thing, mm-hmm. which was hugely popular despite being again, structurally a mess. And it was taken off him and finished by another filmmaker. And th- it, where is Gareth Edwards? Like, what is he, go- what is he going to be able to do? Mm-hmm. What's the, what's the next? The next step's crucial, isn't come- it? Yeah. He's got to parry yeah. it back a bit and go back to basics in a way. And you have to wonder, like, where, where does that happen? now like a netflix original that nobody's gonna see mm. even those are so fucking formulated a miniseries like, give him a miniseries yeah, well gareth, gareth evans did that didn't he for sky he did the gangs of london thing which we have just successfully identified the answer to that question which is i do think that for any budding filmmaker this kind of assignment where it's like you've got this you've got this performer he does this well we have Spider-Man sets and Master of the Universe sets. You have £500,000. If you don't leave my office in in a minute's time, I will reduce that by 10000 every minute that you stand in front of me. <laughs> I want a movie in three months' time, edited and ready to be released. I think that kind of assignment, though daunting, mm. I think you know that kind of like make-or-break 
fight or fly. Yeah. That, that um, is something that we are sorely missing and you can see it reflected. Well, yeah, we can knock it, but you know what? I will not knock him for, for, for trying. And actually the one thing I will say, I mean, I know you didn't seem to, to fully grasp the, the simple, some of the simple stories, <laughs> but, but A to B and it ending up at C. It's there. Well, I'd, I'd say less, I, I would give less credit to that and, but give him credit that he delivered a film and he delivered a film with a lot of coverage that Van Damme obviously dug into when he got kicked out of the edit room, but that there was enough to construct a feature length film and he seemed seemingly pulled off the assignment that, that he was, he was given and how many of us could, could have done it, you know? How many, how many films do we know of that were just like, we don't have like the things just get dumped even in this era there's there's a whole slew of like if you if you go a few rungs below this in the in the kind of the real fucking schlock world you have films that they just didn't fucking bother finish them and, and then they would just release it anyway because who gives a fuck mm. they're already in or they've already bought the video <laughs> or they've already rented it i've got your money there is no word of mouth that's going to destroy this like yeah. or go back to josh trank again we see those huge, actually, you know what? Harsh to just keep dogpiling on him. Nah, dude, that film was awful. <laughs> yeah, but that, that David Ayer suicide squad, yeah, all the money true. in the world and what an abomination of a final product. Mm. So I just think, you know, there are plenty of, they're the high profile ones that, you know, people like to focus on. But mm. like you said, Devlin, it happens all the time. It's just, it's a shame in a way because I would be more than happy to watch those kind of failures because there is definitely lessons to be learned and i wouldn't call cyborg a failure i would say there are failings within it that are quite funny namely running to the beach naked um <laughs> why is that so funny is it because she runs in a slightly different direction no there is i'm hoping absolutely no sense of body shaming here because it's not what i'm trying to go for oh, oh tread carefully devlin the jiggling mm. is quite ungainly and I don't know why that is. It's possibly because you don't generally see nude women <laughs> yeah. from the back on on uneven surfaces. Mm. So only in yeah. only in a manual. I mean, you wouldn't it's, expect it in this movie. <laughs> it's not like um, it's not like the Baywatch run where it's like okay, so make sure that because the, like they probably inf- instruct the actresses on something like that, and like this is how keep you rigid, run. Mm-hmm. yeah. And then the, again, they overcrank that. that if you're going to overcrank something. <laughs> <laughs> but nobody told her, so it's just <laughs> it's just madness in all directions. Mm. It's why we have clothes, Devlin, because if we were naked, we'd all just laugh just at each other. Yeah. We just, just yeah. like look at that jiggle. Look at him. <laughs> that's what I mean. It's just it's just normal person jiggle. Yeah. But that's what's weird about it. Mm. It's you're not used to seeing such. <laughs> I was taken aback. Now that you mention it, I, I was slightly taken aback by it. I watched. Do you know, I, t- I watched this film in a pub in St Albans because I didn't have time. <laughs> so I watched it at three in the afternoon in a in a pub in a in, in a weekday, and I was like one of only three people in the pub, <laughs> and people kept walking past me to go to the bathroom and had to keep <laughs> pausing and minimizing it because at no point do you. This maybe leaks into my at no. Point do you want anyone in public to know that you're watching cyborg <laughs> yeah i mean I, I i you don't even need to ask me did danielle watch this one with me no. like, I, I i normally i try and um you know it's part of our 
it's part of our kind of mo on the show is to try and get listeners to watch these movies mm. so even if we don't recommend them like there is something uh value to to gain from it i didn't bother with danielle on this one i knew <laughs> i knew i just said to her didn't even pitch like, it oh we're re- I was like, we're, we're reviewing a film called Cyborg. She immediately went, Cyborg? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, but hun, remember how silly it would have been when people said, I'm going to go watch the, a movie called The Terminator. Mm. She was like, oh, fair. And then she went, who's it starring? I said, John Cord Van Damme. So I'm not watching it. <laughs> <laughs> Did anyone come up with any more silly guitar names, by the way, for characters that didn't exist? Uh, you see, again, and even that kind of feeds into the, the, the childlike nature of cyborg yeah. in a way, doesn't it? Like, mm. oh, I like guitars. I'm going to call all my characters, uh, after Gibbs. famous. Gibbs. I didn't understand them all. Maybe you can help me. Uh, Furman Vox. Mm. Vox is an amp. What is Furman? Uh, I, the, the, I believe the Wikipedia page of all things does Jesus. actually tell you exactly what instrument everyone is. And some of them are, uh, uh, drum machines and some of them are synths. So they might not be. But something like Nady time. Simmons, that's a reference to Kiss, right? Uh, no, those are, I, I believe they're all types of either synths or, okay. or samplers or, yeah, it's, it's electronic music equipment, but it's all, <laughs> they're all named after music equipment. I do know this, Ralph Muller, winner of the Alan Rock Who It Is award, <laughs> um, was called Brick Bardot. So that was his character name. I just called <laughs> him Wigman. Because it's a very nice permed wig that he's wearing, uh, before he gets wigs stabbed. On the wigs on this film. The Jesus wigs are great, aren't they? Like, cause I think about $500,000 for inflation. If I had that as a budget at film, <laughs> they've school. all been, they've all been to the wig sphere. I would expect better <laughs> wigs. The Van Damme wig, the fright wig on Van Damme. Who did you say it looked like before? It looks like Julian Sands oh, from Arachnophobia. I thought he looked like Harry Styles with the long hair a little bit. I, he, he tapped into a, a teen heartthrob zone somehow. Yeah. Or, or a bit, uh, Chesney Hawks. Uh, yeah, yeah. Probably more so. That route. Yeah. 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 I also felt that, you know, again, Sticking with my theory on the wrestling of it all, the album Pune was like, let's make this a sort of wrestling movie. Mm. There's a lot of Ultimate Warrior wigs uh, on some of the bigger men. Mm. Um, the big boys have all got them. Um, so <laughs> the bigger boys. There's <laughs> a lot of swollen meat on display in this film. It's something. Uh, and um, you know, you mentioned before, Matt, uh, before we go into our favourite scenes of Final Thoughts, um, that there wasn't enough violence. One hand decapitation felt felt disappointing well i've written there's intensity and drama in the crucifixion sequence when it's cross cross cut with the barbed wire well i've i thought that was effective and it was very heavy-handed musically but that scene was about as good as it got for me because i could see the technique and i could see what he was doing um my daft answer for favorite scenes is every time there's a flashback um but it's prior to the flashback where you realize that he's zoning out into the mid distance and he's looking at <laughs> the speed or whatever it is. Uh, it's like they didn't cut. They just said, he just finished the scene. <laughs> he's just powering down. <laughs> There's technique there. He's doing it intentionally. It doesn't quite play, but I can see what Pian is going for. Uh, but that's kind of a, a funny, funny option. Uh, I like the stop motion oddness and the robotics it was a bit mm. freaky looking. It made me feel a bit queasy. It was a bit like Robocop. It sort of turns the stomach mm. a bit, the Rob Botine factor of it all. When she takes her wig off, that was just mad. Um, did you ever see uh, a, a fast show sketch called The Long Big Punch-Up? 
where uh, <laughs> Paul Whitehouse and I think it's Charlie Higson are on a dock and they're just smacking each other, just exchanging blows and punching <laughs> each other for about a minute. I, I felt like mm. that was cyborg in in many ways it reminded me of that with the big st- with the big stock sound effect punch sounds Ooh, as well yeah and at some point <laughs> it becomes so ludicrous and funny and absurd that it loses its force and goes into a funny kind of territory and and that that happened quite a bit uh but one i've slagged it off a bit that i like the map paintings uh there was one with the the lightning and the cityscape and there was a bus at the bottom of the frame a kind of a destroyed bus and that was very reminiscent of the walking dead uh pilot where rick enters the city on his horse and i thought maybe there's a post-apocalyptic influence there maybe cyborg uh, had some influence on on that walking dead pilot i i quite like that Mm. How about you two? Oh. Um, who's next? Favorite scene? Yeah, Devlin. But uh, fully agree. I, I think probably the reason why this film remains in people's memory is the is the, the stop motion. It's 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 cool. They use enough of it that it's kind of awesome. Any little tricks like that, I'm a sucker for. I'm a sucker for matte paintings. I'm a sucker for like a really really obvious stage set. Like I mm-hmm. fucking love being able to see the edges of the set. <laughs> my favorite um uh, favorite scene watching him try and get that girl down the sewer hole they are escaping for their lives from the second i guess big fight the the, everything about the the geography of that fight is fucking magnificent it's completely ludicrous the fact that he just turns up and she's just laying face down on the floor which is just inherently funny to see people already laying on the floor i don't know why picks her up and then a big old wide shot as he awkwardly totters over to a manhole, lifts it, has to place her down, then has to, has like, how, what? And, and then when it gets to the point where it's like, okay, you're, you are either going to have to drop her down an indeterminate, but probably very high <laughs> amount of space, or you are going to try and convince me that you are going to carry her down a small ladder through a small hole that probably both of you can't fit that. It just cuts. Doesn't matter. They're already downstairs. Don't worry about it. And I said, yeah, this is, this is brilliant. Just show us what you need to, but it's just such a long scene. And it just, it meant that I had plenty of time to sit there and say, you're not getting it down there though. <laughs> it's like, um, it's like that bit in the, in, um, Alan Partridge in the day to day where he's like, uh, he sees the tarpaulin on the, on the horse racing track. Oh. And he says, I hope it's not a dead horse. <laughs> Cause if it is, you're not getting in the back of a Volvo V40. <laughs> Even if you do put the seats down. <laughs> you just reminded me of something else as well, Devlin, just before, as Van Damme is leisurely getting, getting it down the, the manhole, they're doing some fake running and the camera's tracking them. And it's so funny watching them kind of trying to run at full speed. I mean, it, it goes a little bit Scooby-Doo and it made yeah. me laugh. Um, there's a couple where they're actually running at full speed, but when they're, he's trying to get them all in frame, you can see them slowing down, <laughs> but winding their arms up. And again, little things like that, that you think would be easy to capture on film because it's like, well, you're just running, but I, I'm sure Albert Pion would have learned a lot. Because that looked awkward and silly because it was. Um, and there was definitely another way of doing it. And he's probably learned that in Nemesis 2. I don't know, but it made me laugh. <laughs> what, what, are your, what are your other favorite scenes apart from somebody trying to get a woman down a hole? <laughs> uh, so my 
<laughs> my see, uh, my, I'll, I'll start with my daft one. My daft answer is, yep, any flashback, um, and just the screaming. Anytime someone screams, which is a lot in the movie, yeah. um, I love just. There's a bit before they have the fight where it's just like instead of a slanging match, it's just a shout off of. Rah! Um, so all that was, um, was very, very good. I will say my serious, um, sequence. I mean, it is a flashback, which is, you know, considering how much abuse they've had, uh, throughout this, uh, this episode. Uh, I think the, the well sequence, there's a reason why that is etched into my brain is because it's really disturbing. And there's just something about watching a young girl. And the way that the that Pyon shoots it with mm-hmm. the shot of her hands bleeding, even though obviously we don't see the barbed wire. Do you think wire, it taps into be... this idea that we've all been, you know, pricked by barbed wire or something? We can relate to that particular. Absolutely, yeah. It's, you know, I've definitely never gone down a well. No. Um, but the idea of like just we've all tried to climb a barbed wire fence, I'm sure. Yeah. We've all been reprobates at one point in our lives. It fucking hurts. So the idea of like, trying to hold something and it ripping through your hands, you know, it's strange how a crucifixion didn't really impact me. It like is, I didn't it? really feel, I didn't really mm. feel the impact of Van Damme being, you know, perched up there, you know, a couple of hammer blows to the hand. Um, not really. He sort of definitely can see him hold himself up. Um, but that I felt, mm-hmm. I felt it and it, it remains the most memorable part of the movie for me um which is surprising in a van damme film when the fight sequences just don't really land um so yeah but my daft one is any wig any shouting <laughs> any flashbacks that isn't just that flashback. and there's plenty of that so there's lots to like for you though. as we've been going to atlanta should we stop off at critics corner on the way I did read Roger's uh, review for this one, and he does actually have a humdinger of a line. I just think it's ace that he even reviewed this. <laughs> he did review it, and he gave it one star. Uh, in a written piece in 1989, uh, he called it a sadomasochistic passion play. Uh, Fender Tremolo wants to destroy her because he believes that if anarchy is unleashed upon the world, he can rule it. Oh, that, I've written that because Roger was the person who spelled that out for me. Uh, thanks to Roger, I now understand the motive of the villain. Uh, in spite of the film's plot being simplicity itself, according to Roger, uh, that particular fact passed me by he ended with uh, movies like this work if they're able to maintain a high level of energy and invention as the mad max movies do they do not work when they lower their guard and let us see the reality which is that several strangely garbed actors feel vaguely embarrassed while wearing bizarre costumes and reciting unspeakable lines. Oh, Matt, you didn't say my favourite line from it, which I think is something like, in in reference to the cyborg, Rog wrote, under her wig is a computer, which just made me laugh. <laughs> yeah. Just made me laugh. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, I got, I got a lot more time for Rog than I know you do, Matt, but I can't help but think he's kind of nailed that. Yeah, well, he doesn't mean, it doesn't mean I don't like it, yeah. but... No, that is pretty much what's happening. I, I do like his written pieces more, and I, yeah, I'm kind of on on Team Rog this this week. Um, well, I suppose it's time for us to to dish out our our, our final thoughts. I'll start with you, Matt, as the newbie to Cyborg. Uh, final thoughts, and um, uh, you know, we don't always recommend the movies, but do you recommend Cyborg to our listeners? 
uh, it reminded me of of all those pre Pulp Fiction films where all the good guys talked about was good guy shit and all the bad guys talked about was bad guy shit you know it was like all story and exposition through dialogue and that's what films were like then and i I feel like we've we've come a long way but that really dated it for me um there's this idea of guilty pleasures which i subscribe to less and less these days like i don't like to deny myself things because someone might think it's uncool or or something so i think i'd probably fall more into that category if i'd seen it when i was younger um it did feel like the movie equivalent of smashing two toys together um i think we've come up with more nuanced stuff when we were kids playing with big sticks and you know uh, i i don't know if i'd seen this alongside aliens and die hard i don't know if it would have even registered with me then because that's what i was watching when i was nine or ten so i i think it probably would have paled in comparison then um Unfortunately for Albert Pion, my brain has fully formed now and it's too late. So uh, in, in spite of burning a, a, a few brain cells over the years, this was still a bit too dumb for me, even though I couldn't really follow a lot of, a lot of the things that were happening. Simplicity <laughs> itself uh, was still difficult for me here. Um, it felt a bit GCSE drama at times. It felt like a film written by a 15-year-old for a 10-year-old to watch. Um, I, I think we know it's not good, but it's how how do we how do we sort of categorize it? Is it an ironic pick that, that we enjoy because it's a bit, a bit silly. And, and is there a hint of nostalgia there for, for something that we might have enjoyed when we were kids? Uh, how willing you are to go along with, with cyborg will probably, um, it'll separate the, the fans from the foes. And I fell into the foe territory. I think I'm a bit of a pirate this, this week. I lost patience with a 90 minute film, which was damning. Uh, I found it, really slow even though it's quite short but i think it's because every scene is three or four times longer than it needed to be if you want to see a man that looks like edgar davids take off his shades eight different times (laughs) uh, then this is the film for you uh i'd recommend it to kids under the age of nine um but parents should bear in mind that there is a full frontal nude crucifixion severed hands nude skinny dips and lots of blood um so I don't know what, what kind of parent is going to let a kid watch it. I don't know if there's any eight or nine year olds listening. You shouldn't be. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm, go bed. <laughs> I, no matter what time of day it is, go bed. <laughs> I'm very stupid and I don't mind being spoon fed a bit of exposition, but over and over the Atlanta stuff did my head in. It was maddening. Uh, give me some three-dimensional characters if you can. It is a non-recommend. <laughs> uh, if I could re- recommend it to anyone, it would be a younger, a younger viewer. Uh, it was bottom rung action. I didn't think there was anything particularly special. It didn't stand out for me. Um, but yeah, I'd never seen this one. So my film education continues on the rewind podcast, but, um, yeah, uh, in, in spite of some nicely staged scenes, I think uh, mostly the one in the rain at the end. I found the action quite mediocre and, uh, yeah, uh, I'm tempted to say hard pass really on this one. So I'd say nost- nostalgic rewinds only for this one. But if you do want post-apocalyptic action that was taken away from the director, recut, and then still failed to live up to its promise, then go and watch Waterworld. <laughs> yeah, um, nice. So yeah, I'll go to Devlin next. How about you, Dev? Well, I think it is very telling 
that that was the take that you had on the film. I think that, you know, me and Gally watch this so frequently, but in such weird setting, which is to say in 20 to 30 minute increments over and over again. Doing the washing up or cooking. Yeah. While washing up and cooking that it is now like this film just to me reminds me of that particular time in life. It's not even that it reminds me of being a kid. It reminds me of being like 20, 21 living in a filth house and being I was very a, very very poor the yeah. time of my life <laughs> in a way <laughs> in a way so like it, it's just uh it's just that but yeah watching it back i mean when we talk about like uh um guilty pleasures the fact that i did not want anyone in the pub to see what i was watching <laughs> is indicative of the fact that there is a sense of shame involved was that in just the nudity or just any of the scenes all of oh, it. Okay. <laughs> I didn't want anyone seeing anything that was happening on screen because it's, there was the nudity, of course, but even when there's not, there's just like big, greasy muscle lunk heads in the worst wigs you've ever seen with their nipples out, <laughs> knife sharpening, <laughs> or just like, but ugly sets. <laughs> it's, uh, I don't know. Um, but I, but I still enjoy it. Uh, I, I would have to deploy this one carefully. I don't think I would be able to watch this a lot. And I don't think I would ever watch it again alone. There are certain B-movies. Mm. There are certain B-movies that can play, like that you can find them funny on your own. I think you're right in that somehow a film can be both sub-90 minutes and also get some real drags <laughs> in and amongst it. Um so yeah, this is, this is one that if you've not seen it, I, I always, I find it difficult to not recommend things because yeah. I just feel like, I don't know, what else are you going right, to do? Right. Like, honestly, what else have you got on? If you're dead busy, then don't. But otherwise, if you're the sort of person who has two hours to spend <laughs> on listening to our horse shit, just watch it. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. If you've sat through this, then go and watch the film immediately. <laughs> <laughs> and if you do love the film, I'm sorry that we made fun of it so much, hmm. but it's not, it's, but there, what I do love is that Roger's assessment of like dudes in shitty costumes looking vaguely <laughs> embarrassed <laughs> is that there is a certain sense of like shame and embarrassment, which I love because it is, there is no irony involved in any aspect of this and when you say that like the post tarantino world of you know goodies and baddies having you know to have like philosophical discussions about board games or whatever i actually that chaps my ass that stuff and i actually prefer it in a film like this i don't want people trying to trying to elevate it. i, I didn't want nope. them to talk about nope. burger king or anything necessarily i just yeah. think i wanted a bit a bit more levels but i know what you mean i know what you mean it would have been nice for fender to have a conversation with someone in his gang <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> i, I love i love the stupidity yeah. of it it's like we all we all know where we are don't gussy this up <laughs> <laughs> you give it to me straight you give me this absolute dog shit straight <laughs> and i don't not- like the water <laughs> So for that, there is a tremendous, like, it's just a, it's just a big plate of meat. Slop it down. Sloppy steaks. <laughs> um, so there you go. That's my assessment of Cyborg. It's broken my mind. Galley, please help. Well, I am gonna, I'm gonna follow the advice of Fender. I don't, and I won't talk down to you, um, <laughs> listeners. I won't. 
I mean, how the hell would did how would that poor harbour man know that he doesn't like the water? It's not like Fender's profiles on <laughs> Tinder or something. <laughs> you can just get it. Doesn't like the water. Roger won't. Well, make sure there's a boat available then. Um, yeah, uh, I, this is this is a, a silly movie, um, a silly movie that I, in good conscience, could not recommend to normal moviegoers. <laughs> uh, I don't think. How about however, our audience? I, yeah. Well, however, I do, I will say this. I will say this. In all seriousness, I do think there is some value in watching this film and. And, and doom kind of what we've done. We've had a, a bit of a giggle. Um, but none of our criticisms, uh, are in any way, and, and this goes for any film that we do, are any, in any way meant to be kind of mean, cruel, um, as if we could do better. You know, they are literally just what we, it's, it's a bit, you know, it's a bit Roy Walker. Say what you see. And that's what we do. <laughs> um, so I just think, um, I think there's plenty to actually gain from it. Like if you were a young budding filmmaker, he was thinking, what kind of film could I make on a super, super cheap budget? Mm. Um, you know, Cyborg, in, it's not the worst film to watch in the world. Maybe you know, someone would see this and like, say, I'm going to go out and make one. That would be, well, that would I be think enough. You could watch it? it and go, if we were younger and had the will, um, <laughs> and we weren't also separated by many miles, um, then I, I'd imagine, you know, we could have watched Cyborg. I think we could do better than that. Mm. Uh, and actually, we could probably take some of the mistakes uh, in in the structure and the character and the way the characters. A few scenes uh, talking about board games, and we could do that. And yeah, and, and... yeah, I think you could. Uh, you you could conjure up a better version of this. Yeah. But in order to to get to that better version, you kind of got to, you know, you got to watch Project Zero, which is this. So yeah, I think uh, I think that's my recommendation to anyone who's. Are interested in difficult productions, low budgets, and wigs. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's where I live. Um, but yeah, anyone who's actually out for a good Friday night um, to watch a movie and, and pass the time, I'm just not sure. Cyborg's the one. In our, in little chunks, though, it's very funny. Where do you place it in the Van Damme oeuvre? Because I don't really know too much. Mm. Uh, yeah, I think as a Van Damme movie, it's it's really not good at all. Like, I think it's quite low on the totem pole. Um, it, certainly in his peak years, or in his um, ascending years to his peak years, it, it's not one of the better ones. You know, Double Impact is way better I mean, even double T is better. And, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. So what's the, uh, what's the, what's the counterfeit jeans one? Knock off. Knock off. Fuck yeah. Yeah. That's when I started to jump off the van dye. I mean, everyone did, uh, cause it was rubbish. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah, in, in his, in his oeuvre, this is one of the poorer ones just because it, one, it doesn't showcase, uh, the things that, that kind of make him interesting. Cause he's not, he's not weird enough in this either. Like he's only really weird when he's got the wig. And and he doesn't say a lot, so it's just kind of internalized weirdness. Mm. I, I much preferred uh, Hard Target. I would start as as a novice. I would start there before going to to Cyborg. Yeah, totally. I think that's I think that's the that's top of the pile for me. Like that's and and time time cops fun sudden sudden death. You know, he fights a penguin. It's fucking brilliant. It's you know they're they're the they're the they're the kind of the peak Van Damme. Maximum Risk is currently on Netflix. If uh, uh, I haven't watched it yet, well, it's got the girl from Species in it. 
Well, someone's got to promote Netflix. They're, they're, they're dying on their arse, oh, man, yeah, apparently. Terrible, <laughs> so there we go. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think, uh, it's a not, it's an, it's a, it's a weak not recommend from me, <laughs> but I say that with a, with a heavy heart. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I feel like, uh, I feel like old Rose. I'll just. In the water for cyborg. Like, I uh, I agree. The one thing that I probably should have. Oh, it's definitely now trying to qualify. No, no, no. Whoa, 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 whoa! I, I did I not five, say it's good. I did not say it's good. I have I have five pages of notes and I'd lost my summary. <laughs> uh, the one thing that I do love about it, like you were saying about, oh, this is what you can do with like, you know. The fact that they did just manage to finish a film, they just fucking mm. did it. They mm. were like, I just write it in a weekend and then shoot it in two weeks. And I was like, it's, it's like a fun, it's a fun challenge. It's almost like a filmmaking challenge, like a, like a game of exquisite corpse or something. It's like, okay, here's Skeletor's outfit and here's, <laughs> did you spot that by fucking, the way? Is it actually his? Yeah. It's on Fender. Ah. Yeah. It's the chainmail vest. Do you think they went and here's War Child? Okay, yeah, yeah. I, can de- I can deal with him. Yeah, uh, and and you know, and then the street scene from from Spider Man, and we built them, and it's like, well, join those up, uh, and do it like now, and also make money, and mm-hmm. pretty magnificent. As so a, the first thing that Pion did was said was in order to make it not look like it's New York and it's Spider Man. Just get a hairy bush corpse, put it front center. <laughs> set, always set the tone early. <laughs> anyway, that's enough. Of, that's enough of cyborg. Uh, where, where, Matt? Can our listeners, who of course hang on every word we say and do everything that we instruct, um, where can they find Cyborg for their Friday night in with the with the missus or the husband or the no one? According to Devlin, where can they find Cyborg? I, I've got a, a Scream Factory Blu-ray written down here. Um, I, I wouldn't personally go for that one, but you know, if, if you want to, uh, the clips look like they're great quality on on YouTube. There's just a note here on the censorship. There was a BBFC edited version floating around for a while. The Shout Factory appears to have restored everything to its former glory. Um, the severed hand of the female pirate was gone for a while. That's back in. Although a lot of it's off screen, um, uh, you know, th- th- there was a little bit more footage that they that they took out for for the UK market. I don't know exactly why. Um, I think um, uh, there's some butchered scenes here and there, but I'm I'm not too sure. As far as streaming, did anyone have have streaming options? You have to rent it. It's a rental, unfortunately. Um, I, I don't, it's an MGM picture. So it's possible that it's somehow kind of churning through the, the, the horrible morass that is the, uh, ongoing Disney suckification of anything that's ever related to any of their products. Um, but yeah, I've got here an 88 films Blu-ray, which, uh, has both versions, Cyborg and Albert Pune's Slinger. Apparently that is, uh, currently available, but yeah, uh, the streaming is, is all rentals rent or buy mm. god you're gonna have to work hard for this one then listeners <laughs> i would go with the shout factory one just because never has a company distributing a movie been more apt to the, the movie <laughs> <Yeah. itself. laughs> full of shouting um there we go fantastic um devlin uh would you like to tell our listeners i'm very much looking forward to one 
what you're going to go for for cyborg and two the t-shirts that are going to come out of it i want a i don't like the water t-shirt <laughs> and don't talk down to me <laughs> i also want that one i think i i might knock together i don't talk to i always say i'm going to do these things if you go on the store devil com, you will see that i actually follow through on none of this but <laughs> there is already a t-shirt up in the store which is related to this we have a canon films t-shirt oh. i wore it to work the other day and nobody noticed <laughs> <laughs> Love it. So, if you want to get absolutely zero reaction from your colleagues and co-workers that's your shirt uh there is uh there, i i will be updating there is a new poster and t-shirt range in there uh as mentioned last week i am currently deep in a female prisoner scorpion series obsession i'm in a i'm in a death spiral with these with these films so i've created a new range of t-shirts and posters uh for the first film in the series i'm going to be creating one for each film going forwards listeners if you enjoy what we do please like subscribe share spread the gospel that's what we say um we are certainly not uh not gods here um so we need your help um so please do that um on uh, Spotify, Apple, wherever you listen to us. Um, there are lots and lots of avenues. Uh, and I also want to actually say, because I haven't said it for a while now, just thank you very much for those that have done that. It's uh, really useful. And also keep bringing in, keep emailing us and sending us um, messages for your requests. We've had a few more in team. So we've got potentially Last of the Mohicans, Lost in Translation, uh and also twister um, which uh, i think people are they want more bill paxton uh so we're a bill paxton pod in many ways <laughs> bill paxton and james cameron until we run out of their films yep. we are yeah um so yeah that's uh so thank you very much for that and as i said uh, if you do enjoy the show please just do uh share share it with your friends who you think might want to listen to a couple of hours of absolute hot nonsense about cyborg of which we've all said don't watch <laughs> which is always fun <laughs> um, so there we go um excellent right team we shall say our goodbyes i feel like i've kind of um i've already i've already said my outro lines so i'm just gonna i'm just gonna shout ah! <laughs> it's galley in glasgow signing out stay safe everyone what kind of jerk are you it's Devon in London. Don't look down on me! It's Matt in South Korea. Oh, thank you very much for listening, everyone. And we'll catch you next time on the Rewind Movie Podcast. <laughs>